So the reality of the conceptual world is that it has limits. When we accept this scarcity, we accept reality as it is. When we ignore this scarcity or trick ourselves into believing it is infinite, we delude ourselves. According to Buddhism, ignorance or delusion is one of the three causes of our suffering. The other two are attachment and aversion. So when we are deluded about reality, we perpetuate suffering. When we are aware of reality as it is, we avoid suffering. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I'm Guy Swan and this is Bitcoin Audible. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. Um, I've got a, a really fun read today. This is from Swan Bitcoin Blog, uh, and it's by uh, my good friend Reed over there. And it's a really interesting one. It's a little different. It's not like a technical breakdown or anything. It's a it's a very conceptual piece that I think is going to be fun. And it's on the shorter side, so it'll be fun just to throw this in here at the middle of the week. Um, and it's titled Accepting Scarcity, a Bitcoin Meditation. Uh, and it was done like a month or two ago by Reed. Um, and uh, you can get this at the swanbitcoin.com blog. And of course, if you haven't set up your Swan Bitcoin savings plan, do so at swanbitcoin.com slash guy and you'll get that $10 in sats for free to start you off. But uh, let's go ahead and jump into this piece because I think this is a really, this, this is just a really fun, neat, like philosophical mental meditation. Um, so again, this one's titled Accepting Scarcity, a Bitcoin Meditation. This essay shall concern itself with the conceptual world. It does not address the mystical, non-conceptual world where language and limits do not apply. That world is equally true and equally worthy of investigation by meditation or mysticism. But for now, we concern ourselves only with the world of logic, language, and concepts. Everything is scarce. The conceptual world is governed by scarcity. This scarcity is most obvious in the physical realm. There is a physical limit to the size of our universe, the width of our solar system, the diameter of our earth, the length of your street, the height of your spouse, and the size of an atom. Any physical object, no matter how large or small, necessarily ends. While some objects may appear to be more endless than other objects, their apparent limitlessness is merely a trick of perspective. You may be tricked into feeling that large, numerous objects like galaxies are less scarce than small, more intimate objects like pet fish, but in reality, all physical things are scarce. You may have two kids and your neighbor has ten kids. While you have fewer kids than your neighbor, both you and your neighbor have scarce kids. In the binary choice between unlimited and limited, all physical things are limited. Non-physical objects, in Buddhism we call them mental objects, are also equally limited and scarce. While it is clear your cat has physical boundaries, its organs don't spill out into infinity, it is equally true but less obvious that your conception of cat is also bounded. 
cat has a limited meaning. Although people may argue about the breadth of its definition, and each person may hold a slightly different mental boundary of what constitutes a cat, for each person, cat means something and necessarily implies some category of non-cat. While we may convincingly disagree about whether a dog-fox hybrid is indeed a cat, we would still be arguing about whether one concept fits into the bounded category of another concept. The truth would remain that those categories have edges, even if we disagree on where those edges are. So all physical objects and all mental objects are inherently scarce and limited. As much as you'd like any single concept or object to be infinite, it is not. Your body is limited, and the concept of your body is limited. Even words that attempt to point toward the non-conceptual world, words like love, God, nirvana, sublime, are limited and therefore have the boundaries inherent to all concepts. The limitation of concepts is well known within Buddhism. Buddha once reminded his followers that his teaching were the finger pointing at the moon, not the moon itself. Accepting Scarcity So the reality of the conceptual world is that it has limits. When we accept this scarcity, we accept reality as it is. When we ignore this scarcity or trick ourselves into believing it is infinite, we delude ourselves. According to Buddhism, ignorance or delusion is one of the three causes of our suffering. The other two are attachment and aversion. So when we are deluded about reality, we perpetuate suffering. When we are aware of reality as it is, we avoid suffering. We all have stories from our lives of people who suffered because they have not accepted reality as it is. They did not accept a breakup and kept pleading to be taken back. They did not accept a death and kept wishing for their parent to return. They did not accept their current reputation and kept bragging to any who would listen. And likewise, we all know of people who can handle surprises and tragedies with tranquility and aplomb. So, accepting reality as it is, in this very moment, is paramount to avoiding suffering. This is not to say that life won't change, that you are resigned to a certain fate, or there is nothing to be done. Quite to the contrary. We must just accept reality as it is now and start here, rather than fantasize about it. And the reality is all things are scarce. Unfortunately, we repeatedly and routinely delude ourselves about scarcity. We make hyperbolic statements about our physical objects, the mountains are endless, there's other fish in the sea, the Fed has infinite cash, and about abstract concepts too, his love is eternal, or his compassion knows no bounds. However, all of these concepts are misleading, even the infinite cash statement. While they may provoke the intended emotional response, a sense of vastness, given enough time, life forces people to learn that their previous conception of infinity was wrong. They get to the end of the mountain range, they finish the dishes, or they see their compassionate lover squash an ant. And at that moment, if they still cling to the concept of infiniteness, they suffer through the process of letting go of their wrong view. 
To avoid deluding ourselves and to avoid the necessary suffering that arises when the reality of scarcity smacks us in the face, we should never conceive of anything as infinite, even if it appears very large. Even Murray Rothbard, my favorite writer, suffers from this slight delusion in his opus, Man, Economy, and State. He writes, quote, In the first place, all means are scarce, i.e., limited with respect to the ends that they could possibly serve. If the means are in unlimited abundance, then they need not serve as the object of attention of any human action. For example, the air, in most situations, is in unlimited abundance. It is therefore not a means, and is not employed as a means to the fulfillment of ends. It need not be allocated, as time is, to the satisfaction of the more important ends, since it is sufficiently abundant for all human requirements. Air then, though indispensable, is not a means, but a general condition of human action and human welfare. Murray Rothbard But it's not just means that are scarce. Everything is scarce. Nothing is in unlimited abundance, not even the general conditions of air. Even if the air is so numerous that each molecule holds little value to humans, it only appears unlimited due to our narrow perspective. And if we hold this perspective for too long, we eventually cause suffering when air pollution begins to build up in the cities, the buffaloes go extinct, the frontier closes, or passenger pigeons disappear from the skies. Even if something is so vast that you die before you ever discover its scarcity, eventually someone will reach its end, and they'll have to suffer when waking up from the lie of infinity that you told them was true. Training the Mind to Accept Scarcity Fortunately, you can train your mind to accept scarcity, and doing so has innumerable benefits. Namely, you are better able to see reality as it really is, less likely to be deluded, and less likely to suffer the discomfort of waking up from your delusion. Paying close attention to anything effectively trains your mind to see scarcity, one minor benefit of attention training. So the closer you pay attention to a tree, the more you recognize that it is not like any other tree. The closer you pay attention to your lover, the more you see how no one could possibly replace her. Still, this scarcity is a felt sense. It is not verifiably nor logically true. It arises from a deeper place of intuition, and it is only sustained by consistent attention. As soon as your attention drifts off the present moment awareness of the object, the object can delude you into believing its infiniteness. For instance, you can intuitively sense dollar bills are scarce by staring at a dollar bill for long enough, but you are not logically convinced of its scarcity. As soon as your mind drifts slightly, you start imagining loggers clearing the forest to run dollar printing presses full steam, or the images of the Weimar Republic hyperinflation when people used dollar bills as fire starters, and suddenly, you're caught in an internal story where the sacred dollar bill in front of you transforms into just another dollar among infinite dollar bills. Thus, all objects, fiat included, don't force you to see their logical scarcity unless you maintain strict attention. This is all objects except Bitcoin. For Bitcoin represents a new object of meditation, 
that can train one's logical mind to accept scarcity. Bitcoin is the first time a concept has such a clearly defined, incontrovertible boundary. 21 million. Whereas I could imagine copies being made of other scarce objects, multiple Mona Lisas or Hope Diamonds. With Bitcoin, I cannot. No such copy can ever be created. The block reward schedule and incentive structure assures that. So, staring deeply at the Bitcoin protocol can train one's mind to accept scarcity not just as an intuitive truth, but as an abiding logical truth. As a meditative tool, Bitcoin meditation most resembles death meditations. Both harness the conceptual mind to teach a concept, and neither transcend the conceptual realm. While many meditators grow comfortable with death simply by cultivating present-moment awareness, some find it helpful to train the logical mind to accept death by focusing on it directly. Then later, when their minds drift to other topics, they can still remember their impending death and the death of all things. Bitcoin meditation is similar. By focusing on Bitcoin, you see absolute scarcity deeply. And then, even when your mind drifts to other things, you increasingly see the reality of scarcity everywhere. So for me, it has provided a compelling meditation object. Aside from providing a long, though not endless, intellectual rabbit hole, contemplating Bitcoin has, more noticeably, anchored my mind from drifting into delusions of infinity in everyday life. It has grounded me in conceptual reality. Even without sustained attention on Bitcoin, even when I lose my attention and get caught up in the stories of Bitcoin, those stories are not based on, nor have allusions to, infinity. Bitcoin is just going to the moon, which is a set distance away. While many other meditation objects, namely my breath, have provided me even deeper and more profound meditative training, Bitcoin has helped me understand the scarcity of conceptual reality more clearly, and I believe helped me sidestep a little suffering arising from my own delusions. In the coming years, I look forward to watching Bitcoin train my logical mind even more, but for now, it's back to my breath. All right, let's hit our sponsor for today's show, and I want to talk a little bit about the idea, the conceptual reality of scarcity and how Bitcoin helps to train us to think in those terms and, and what it means for the concept of value. So let's hit our sponsor and we will jump back in. One of the, one of the really like most interesting and kind of impactful ideas in this piece um, that like I take very seriously it's something that i focus on a lot in my life and trying to make sense of the world and then trying to make sense of bitcoin like is that um it's the quote that i actually put at the beginning of uh the at the beginning of this episode is that ignorance or delusion is one of the three causes of our suffering the other two are attachment and aversion so when we are deluded about reality, we perpetuate suffering. When we are aware of reality as it is, we avoid suffering. This is something I see all of the time, and I've seen it in my own 
personal past. Um, and I've seen it in coming to terms with what Bitcoin is, what it can do and what it can't do. Um, I mean, I'm not to say like, like I, I, I'm sure I use the, you know, infinite platitudes and like, I'm, I'm big on, you know, descriptive, uh, uh, adjectives, um, and, uh, exaggerations, I guess you could say, um, just cause I get really excited about stuff, but you know, the block size debate was one of those things that made me, made me come to terms with the limitations of the protocol, what it actually does the true reality of this thing not the pie in the sky let's just make uh make blocks as big as we possibly want them and this is such a huge point of contention just in life in general to to be at odds with reality i think that's what's going on in kind of the macro picture around the world is that we have a false idea of reality we had a false we were propping up a false idea of what our political institutions were and who the good guys were and who the bad guys were and we're having to face that and it's causing a ton of pain and suffering uh to to feel like we've we're we're trying to hold up a a version of reality that's not true that's contradictory and every time we have those clash with each other it causes intense anger and frustration trying to come to terms with it um and uh i've probably said this before on the podcast but that was actually part of my journey towards libertarianism was coming to terms with the contradictions that i had held um, I had, you could technically have considered me, it's hard, it's hard to say, I very much was Republican and conservative for the most part, but there are periods where I aligned with a lot of uh, liberal beliefs, and I didn't quite understand, I didn't know how it labeled me, that was kind of during my like high school days, and before I had really thought about it and tried to work it out, but I remember, um, I remember like the intense anger and like discomfort in trying to come to terms with the fact that I believed something wrong that like somebody would tell me some piece of evidence or fact or some logical uh, a principle or whatever and then be like if you believe this then those don't line up and it would just oh, it felt awful to to recognize that but there is absolutely a piece in um, sorting that out and just in accepting reality as it is. Um, and scarcity is such an interesting thing because, um, like, I think the, the conceptual idea of scarcity and the conceptual idea of a thing in general, just an object, that was something that I thought, like, uh, that Reed pointed out in this, that um, was such a fun, it's such a fun thought experiment is that just the idea of a thing like to to create a concept is to create scarcity like like he talks about with a cat it, it's even in conceptual reality it must be scarce because that's what makes it separate from another thing that's how you it's how you create it categorically to make a cat in your mind to define a cat is to establish scarcity and truly all things in life are scarce 
Um, everything that we will encounter, even those things that maybe we perceive as infinite, like um, like talking about like there are the edges of the universe, and maybe like I assume my my belief is such that there is something past the universe, like whatever we define as our universe, it is not the end of anything. And whatever we define as an atom or a quark or you know, whatever, uh, that as we go smaller and smaller, whatever the quote-unquote smallest unit is, that that is also not the end. That it goes infinite in all directions, but inherently to define anything, to explore or know anything about it, creates its scarcity um, in the sense that all of it is bounded by time. Even that which uh, maybe has infinite distance. Like, let's say there is no end to distance in the same way that there is no end to large numbers. And that when we reach the end of the universe, we can still just continue going further. Well, it is still bound by the experience. Um, so even in that sense, if, if it is true that there is infinite dis distance, infinite largeness, or infinite smallness, it's still not infinite in the uh, in the context of a life. It is still not in infinite in the context of time. It is all bounded, and it's bounded conceptually. We still have to name and define the thing uh, as in order for it to exist, both in physical reality and conceptually. We have to define it as, as a scarce thing, as, as a thing with a limit, a defined and explicit limit. Um, that, it, like, as he says, if we argue about what a cat is, we might not have exactly the same definition of a cat, um, and could, do, uh, and could argue over that. But what we are doing is arguing over the limits. We are arguing over exactly where the scarcity line is drawn, but not whether it is scarce. And Bitcoin conceptually is such a, that's one of the most powerful things about it is that it is truly scarce. And uh, there's, I think it was Gigi's 21 Lessons when he talks about scarcity and uh, has that section on scarcity, um, is uh, that really got me thinking about trying to, could I think of anything that was as explicitly scarce that could be so verifiably an exact number of things um, and could not be changed as Bitcoin, as the 21 million. And I couldn't. It was so crazy to think about, like, even those things which we think are scarce, um, like gold or whatever, they are scarce in the context of time and the energy production. And Bitcoin makes it so much clearer. Like, just like he talks about, if we don't focus, if we don't, if we don't really focus in the moment, on gold, it's very easy to um, uh, get distracted and think about all the ways that we could create more gold or find more gold in an asteroid or something like that. Even though it may be scarce in our current day and time, it's easy to imagine where there could be tons of gold in an asteroid or we could irradiate lead and mercury down to gold uh, with enough energy. But Bitcoin doesn't allow that. It doesn't allow those it doesn't give at the edges. Um, it, it forces us to recognize an absolute scarcity and has absolutely made me reflect on my own life in, in that regard. Um, uh, a lot of the things, it's, it's amazing how many parallels there are with this 
um, and just kind of digging into the philosophy of uh, Bitcoin, both the philosophy of liberty, but also just the philosophy of scarcity, like, like the concept itself. Um, uh, Breed loves the number zero uh, and Bitcoin is another great one. And then I loved Monsieur Mamadov's book, uh, This Book Will Save You Time, that I did uh, the audio book for which you can find that on Amazon. I'm not sure if I've, uh, I haven't really promoted that on the show. Um, but uh, uh, Monsieur's uh, book is, it's a really short one. Like it's only like two hours or three hours or something like that. So it's not a very long book, but it's a really good story or, or a really good book breaking down kind of a concept of like radical self-value um, and understanding what your life is and, and, marking it in the boundaries of time, how much time that you have in your life. And uh, uh, actually, Masters and Slaves of Money talks about this too. But just the only two things, the two scarcest things that we have in our life are time and Bitcoin. Um, and, it's, and, and that ends up being the, the greatest way to weigh the value of one against the other because at the end of the day we're trying to get back time the purpose of money is to save and make our time more efficiently it's to it's to be able to live our lives and do what we want to accomplish what we want and to find the meaning that we believe is valuable um it's it's you know to find some sort of purpose some drive to accomplish something that makes our time here worthwhile that makes it make sense that we were here and if you don't accept or understand the reality of that time scarcity um of the cost of that of those those 600,000 hours that we have at our disposal um we if we don't value them properly we'll throw them away we'll throw them away chasing somebody else's dream of what career we should have We'll throw them away on a horrible education and paying back debts for things we never should have bought. Um, we'll, we'll throw them away chasing frivolous and low-time preference forms of gratification. And uh, it's, it, you know, low-time preference is a terrible thing, and, and, it's, and it's something that can... Uh, and it's not always terrible because, you know, again, we have limited time, we have scarce time, but it's, it's to improperly value where that time should be directed and our money is so important in um uh, in aligning those incentives in making us realize the truth of what we have available to us how just how far we can go and to prevent our suffering from being deluded about what reality actually is i mean Think about all the people who just think that the government can just pay for things infinitely and give all of whatever, whatever anybody could possibly want. The government will just print and give it or just take it from someone else and who are deluded into thinking that there's just this machine that could have infinite wealth and all we have to do is hurt the right people and what kind of suffering and destruction that causes in society. And then how hard it is to come to terms with the fact that how shockingly wrong that idea is um and to to believe to deal with the discomfort of thinking that you have supported something that has literally destroyed society everything is scarce everything takes work everything takes time 
and it is inherent to the nature of value that the thing is scarce. To be valuable means that it is inherently scarce. Something cannot have value, just like Murray Rothbard said, to be so practically abundant as air that um, even though it may be a critical resource, something that we truly cannot live without, but to be so abundant as it is that it cannot maintain a price, that it cannot maintain value because we perceive it as infinite. So maybe in all its seeming uh, strangeness, uh, contemplating and meditating on the unalterable 21 million of Bitcoin, uh, uh, maybe that's a great way to think about this, the inherent scarcity of all things in life and to better understand and communicate real value. And without sound money, without that scarcity to establish accurate pricing, to establish a reality that we can actually observe in the economy. I mean, that's, the, the economic prices and all of our economic signals are exactly that. They are a delusion. And to have lost that, to be unable to, to, to see just how value, valuable or valueless something is to us is to threaten our ability to find meaning um, and to threaten the direction and choices that we take. Uh, you know, all of this stuff is very much connected to each other and it's, it's important that we have and are able to recognize and properly see the scarcity in the world. And our economic system has really muddied the waters. Um, and I hope Bitcoin is here to fix that. That's why we do the show. That's why we have Bitcoin Audible. Uh, so uh, a huge thank you to Reed for this interesting little piece. I read this uh, you know, two or three weeks ago, and I forgot I hadn't even come back to it, and I just, just popped into my mind this morning. I was like, you know what? That's the one I'm going to read today. So I hope you guys enjoyed this little meditation on scarcity and Bitcoin. Uh, and a huge thank you to Reed Womack for writing this and to swanbitcoin.com for uh, their excellent little blog. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff up here. I will link to that, swanbitcoin.com. I think it's just slash blog. Um, uh, if, if not, oh no, slash signal, swan signal blog. I forgot. Um, but uh, I'll have that in the show notes so you can check that out. And of course, I will have the link to swampbitcoin.com slash guy so you can start your Bitcoin savings plan and auto stack sats indefinitely into the future because if, if, you, if there's only going to be 21 million, the, the best that you can do is get as big a slice of that pie as possible. Guess what? They're not going to make any more of it. It's 21 million. How much are you going to get and what price are you going to get it at? So start stacking sats today. Get your savings plan in. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash guy and you'll get $10 for free to start you off. And with that, uh, let's close this one out. Thank you guys so much for listening. I am Guy Swan. Don't forget to follow me at The Crypto Economy on Twitters and, uh, and check out the YouTube channel. Uh, you can just search Guy Swan and you'll find me up there. I'm releasing stuff uh, very soon in the coming days, and I got some other great videos up there, 
And of course, check out Monsieur Mamadov's uh, uh, excellent little book. Uh, this book will save you time if you haven't. Um, it's a really, really good one, and uh, I recommend it. I was, I was really happy with that book. And of course, is narrated by yours truly. So with that, I will catch you on the next episode of Bitcoin Audible. And until then, take it easy, guys. This has been a 111 production, and you are listening to Bitcoin Audible on the Crypto Economy Network.